After we got our house, um, the uh, yard was a real mess. Um, technically, part the, the part I'm thinking of in particular isn't our yard. There's a commons area next to us, and it's a new... Uh, well, at that point, it was a new addition, and they uh, weren't going to mow this commons area. I talked to the association president, and, uh, and I said, that's commons area. Are they going to mow that? She said, we're not mowing that. She said, you mow it if you want to. I didn't want six-foot weeds seven feet from my house on the one corner there, and so I thought, yeah, I'm going to mow that. So I rented a high-weed mower once a month, and I wrestled that bear through, through this. What a disaster. I mean, it was a, a flinging stuff everywhere, and, and, you know, it's not level, and this mower is, you know, it, 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 was, it was nuts. And um, I got tired of the mess, you know, and the uneven ground and trying to do this and paying to rent this uh, mower every month, and I thought, this is stupid. Uh, so I checked on renting a tractor. So I rented a tractor with a grader box. And I proceeded to go out there and make a different kind of mess. Because I didn't exactly know how to work this thing. You know, and, uh, it, it was you know it was schmoozed a little bit, uh, but but um, it was still a mess. You know, it was still a big mess. It's just a, a different kind of a mess. You know, it looked a little better, but still was uh, pretty um, pretty far from what it needed to be. And so I had to bring somebody else in. I actually uh, somebody offered to come and help me. It was Dave Ewers, and he came, and um, I think it took him 20 minutes. <laughs> You know, after I horsed around with this thing for hours, um, you know, and uh, got it, you know, he got it in real good shape for me, and, and it worked out real well. Now, I was thinking about that because I was thinking some people try to handle sin the way I tried to handle my yard. I can take care of this, you know. I can take care of this, and uh, you know, well, don't, don't, don't worry. You know, I, I'll get it worked out. We push things around a little bit, and. You know, things might look better, but it's not uh, really what it should be. When we sin, we need help. We need to admit that. And we need to, you know, we need, we need to go to God with that. You know, we, we need help. You know, we need forgiveness. Now, that's the third gift of Christmas as we've been looking at this whole thing of, of Advent, if you will, of, of Christ's coming. Uh, that's what we're going to look at today, forgiveness. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our passage. Father, thank you for forgiveness. Open our eyes to see and understand that just a little bit more of what that means and how you have brought that to us, made that available to us, and... Um, and our, our really our, our desperate need for it. I don't think we realize that quite in, quite enough. Uh, but this passage just really is uh, what a neat thing uh, you allowed me to to look to see to study your word. Now I pray that you would help me to uh, make it clear that others might be drawn to you and your word and your truth, uh, that we might realize what a great gift you've given us in forgiveness. 
So open our eyes and hearts, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. As I was working on this, I was, uh, uh, I was thinking, well, we really haven't had Christmas passages yet. We'll get to them. Um, but in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 3. It's on page 1076 if you're using a pew Bible. Um, this is the passage we're going to start with. If you look at your outline, there's a few other passages that we're going to uh, run through too. They'll be up on the screen for you, but uh, this one is right there. Follow along with me. Verse 3, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, it says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> Excuse me, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved. We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, as I was looking at this passage <clears throat> Excuse me. As I was studying it, uh, I, I it just kind of I noticed some compounding elements, if you will, that highlighted forgiveness. Highlighted forgiveness for me. Helped me to see it. Uh, it just it's like compounding interest. You know, when you compound interest, uh, you end up with more than you know. You just more than just adding. You know, it, it just piles up here. And I, I just kind of, to me, it just kind of seemed that way here. And all of it comes because of Christ. I mean, he makes that very clear. You know, he, he says right there in verse 3 that he has blessed us in Christ. You know, it all comes because of him. And uh, all that we're talking about today, really, uh, we have been talking about these last few weeks, all come to us uh, and are ours only in our relationship with Christ. When, we, when we're looking at the Word of God, and particularly as we're looking here at Ephesians and he's writing to the church, he's writing to those who have a relationship with Christ, those who know him, who know not, not just the facts about him, of who he is, but those who have uh, entered into that relationship with him. You know, sometimes we make this thing sound, sound so complicated, and it's really not. It's those who said, Lord, you know, I, I realize, I know, I, I see now that you are indeed, you know, the Christ, the Messiah. They say, you are the one who died for my sin. I realize that. I know that. And I want to, I want to have that relationship with you and give my life to you. And, you know, it comes a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the words aren't, the words we use aren't really as important as the reality of what's in our heart because it's easy to say words, but the reality of our heart is is what matters there. And this is what he's talking about, that is ours in Christ. When the reality of our heart has this commitment to him and we're living for him, not to earn something, but because we realize who he is. We recognize that he is the Christ. We recognize he is the Messiah. We recognize he is the one that came uh, to bring forgiveness for us. And this is what he's talking about, you know, as we're looking at this here, you know, and his coming that we're celebrating with Christmas, his coming has, you know, made this all available to us. But some will continue to reject Christ. Now, uh, you know, that's a shame. And, uh, you know, what we, what, what we need to be able to do is to be able to share with them what we have found, you know, that we have found Christ and be able to tell them and, and help them to know and to understand uh, but more of who he is. Now, don't expect them to be like you because, you know, if God wanted more of you, he'd have made more of you. Um, you want them to, to come to know Christ and let Christ mold them, make them into the person he's called them to be, 
not into the person you think they should be. Would you like me to say that for you again? You need to realize that. You help them to come know Christ and let Christ make them into the person he wants them to be. Not into the person you want them to be. I have found God does a much better job with that than I ever could. You know, and we say, well, yeah, of course, except we don't live it that way sometimes. Sometimes we don't live it like, you know, Lord, you, you know what you're doing and you can do a much better job with this. And we try to push and we try to shove. And <clears throat> I still remember, and, and we need to remember some of these things. I, still re- I used to be able to um, really work guilt on people. <laughs> some of you say used to. Uh, you know, the, uh, um, you know and um, I, I remember talking with my sister one, one uh, time, and she looked at me and she said, Who do you think you are, the Holy Spirit? See, sometimes what we're trying to do is we're trying to have people become what we think they should be. That's not what God's called us to do, and it's not what God has called them to be. When they come to have a relationship with Christ, trust Him enough that He will make them into the people He wants them to be. Well, but they still do this and that. You know what? You, you might be right. You know, you might be right. But do you want them to change because you're irritating? Or do you want them to change because Jesus Christ is their Savior? Just a thought for you. Um, that wasn't in here. So anyway, um, what was the last thing I said? Anyway. Let's go on. Uh, you know, w- when we embrace Christ, you know, we come into this relationship with Him, and when we come into the relationship with Him, uh, you know, w- we should be opening ourselves up to Him. But what He lays out here for us, you know, that is what a great thing. I mean, look, look at verse three. right there. He tells right away. He says that we are blessed in Christ. You know, what we receive in Christ, it, it starts to unfold here in verse 3. This is the beginning of his letter. He starts to unfold it. We're not going to be able to cover everything. We're just covering up through verse 8. And um, But blessed in Christ. Now, uh, the, the word used here, um, you know, it, it, it means, you know, to, to cause to prosper. You know, that... that he says we're blessed in Christ. We are caused, you know, he causes us, causes us to prosper. Now, we're not talking prosperity gospel stuff here. doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to have all this loose change in your pocket and, you know, all the folding money to throw around what you want. That's, that's not what it means here at all. Uh, it, it refers to, you know, to make happy. I mean, that's what, that's what the word is. What he's talking about here is the reality that God works for the good of his people. That's what he's telling us. You know, that we are blessed in Christ. He works for our good. He is not out to destroy us. He is not out, you know, some people think that, you know, God just wants to be the big cheese. Uh, God wants you to realize he is the big cheese. 
There's a difference. There's a difference between you realizing it and thinking that he wants to try to force you into something. He's not trying to force you into anything. He's trying to help you understand more and more who he is and have this relationship with him. You know, he works for a good. His goal is not to punish us. His goal, he, he, he would prefer to bless us. You know, that's, what he, that's what he wants to do. That's what he, you know, we're told that we are blessed in Christ. He wants to work for our good. You know, he wants and he does work for our good. That's what he tells us here. Notice he says, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Nothing, nothing that will help you grow spiritually will be withheld. Now again, that's God knowing what will help us grow spiritually. Not what we think will help us grow spiritually. You see, and I have the faith. I have the faith that God knows what those things are much better than I do. I didn't always feel that way. And too often we don't feel that way. We pray to God to tell him what he should give us because as if we know better. You know, and, and, you know that's how we often approach God. But, but that's not, you know, that, that's not the, the picture. That's not the reality of what it should be. He, he is not looking to withhold anything that will help us to grow better, you know, to grow spiritually. We planted some arborvitas and, uh, because... We wanted them to grow fast, and we wanted them to grow tall, and they told us they would, and they lied. Well, Ginny said, did you fertilize them? Yeah, I've been pounding fertilizer stakes in around those suckers for, that doesn't, those trees, uh, you know, for, you know, for the, all the years that we've had them. And, um, you know, they said that they're going to, I forget what they said, they're going to grow this gargantuan, you know, amount, this crazy amount every year and stuff, and, and and I'm not seeing it, you know. Apparently that tree, those those things need something different than what I think or Job's spikes think they need. Um, you see, we have our ideas and thoughts and the reality sometimes is much different. We have our ideas and thoughts of what's going to help us grow, but sometimes the reality is much different. And I trust God that he knows the reality of what I need to grow. You know, he says that he will give us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, you know, when he says, and notice it says every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Now, that doesn't mean that it's something that only, you know, that only applies at a time after we pass from this earth into God's presence. That phrase in the heavens refers to all of creation. You know, every spiritual blessing in the heavens, anything possible, he's saying, you know, that anything that's possible there, everywhere that Christ Jesus his jurisdiction and ultimate control, which is in all creation. He has blessed us in Christ. Now look, it continues in verse 4, and it tells us that God has chosen us in Christ. He has chosen us in Christ. Now, you know, we can get into all sorts of theological arguments about this and, and uh, you know, about, about whether God calls some to be saved and others, you know, that he doesn't. And if you get into that argument, you're really missing the point. You're missing the point of what he's talking about here. Paul is writing to the church, and as he's writing to the church, to those who already have a relationship with Christ, that's who he's writing to. He's writing to them, and he's, he's a, a, unfolding for them and helping them to get a better view of the reality of who Jesus is. 
And as he's telling them this, you know, he, he isn't, he, you know, he isn't writing here to tell them how they came to Christ. He does that later in the book. In chapter 2, he says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it's not of works, so that no one can boast. He unfolds that later in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You know, he, he lays that out. But here, what he's doing, what, he, what he's telling us, you know, here is the reality that God has blessed us in Christ, and he has chosen us in him. But notice... Notice the two points that follow that. It says, he chose us before the foundation of the world. God planned for us to be his. Do you realize that? He planned for us to be his. He planned for you to be his. It wasn't a surprise to God. It wasn't that, you know, oh, well, here comes this guy. I'm not really, I'm not really ready for him. It, it's not without purpose. And he unfolds a lot of that purpose later in the letter. And again, in chapter 2, you know, when he's talking about, how, about being saved by grace through faith, not of yourself, not of works, that no one can boast. And he goes on, he says, and you were saved for good works. You were saved to do good works. You see, he's planned. He's prepared for us. He, you know, this, it was not a surprise. You know, it, it's right there. But don't overlook what he starts with here. You know, the fact, the reality that, you know, he planned for us. And he says that God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight, holy and blameless. That ought to polish your banister, I'll tell you. Yeah, he, whole, he has called you to be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy as in set apart for God. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about holiness here. That, that holy in the sense of set apart for God. Set apart for God's use. Don't, don't treat as unholy what God has called holy. He has called you to be holy, set apart for his use. Now he also expands on this later in the letter. He gets into spiritual gifts and, you know, that, that he has given us gifts you know, and to be able to work, to be able to serve, or to be able to function as part of the body, as, you know, in, in together with others. And he, he, unla- he, unro- un- he opens that up a little bit more, you know, but remember, you're chosen by God to be holy, to be set aside for his use. Take a minute, just think about the week you went through. I know what went on in some of your lives, but I don't know everything for any of you. You know, just think for a minute what what you went through this last week. How did you live out being chosen for God's use? How did you live that out in your life? How did you live out being chosen by God? How did you live out life for his glory? How did you perhaps uh, live in a way contrary to God's calling on your life? Did you choose sin rather than holiness? He says he has called us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Blameless, blameless. Uh, you know, the, the reality that you, you participated in no questionable activity. That you spoke to others in a way that would honor God. Blameless. This is what he's called us for, what he's called us to be. The word means without blemish. 
It was the same, uh, one of the same words they would use to describe, the, to describe the, uh, the, the, the Passover lamb, the sacrifices that were to be given to God, you know, to be without blemish. Without blemish. See that there's a perfection there, holy and blameless. This is what he's called us, this is what he's called us to be. This is what he will work to help us to be as we open our lives to him and as we begin to follow him. You know, uh, he says we're chosen in him to be holy and blameless in his sight, in God's sight. Our standards are not set by the world. It is in his sight. They're not, we have a higher calling. He has chosen us. He has chosen us, and he has chosen us you know, to, a higher, to a higher calling. Don't settle for anything less than what God has called you to. Why would you settle for less than what God has called you to? Why would you settle for less than being holy and blameless in his sight? Not by the world's standards, in his sight. Then he continues to unfold it in verse 5. He tells us that we're also adopted through Christ. This is a great picture, a great reality, adopted. Verse 5, he says, In love he predestined us to be adopted through Christ Jesus for himself. Adopted, brought into his family. Now the word here actually signifies being placed into his family as sons. Some of the other translations capture that uh, you know, a, a little bit better, being, being uh, placed in his family as sons. Now, remember, sons in their society have a, had a privileged position. Now, you know, don't get your you know, feminist bloomers in an uproar about this. All we're doing is looking at the reality of what it was in their society. And in their society, this was a statement of radical... Uh, of radical uh, um, uh, advancement, a radical uh, statement of, of something that would never happen, that you're, you're pulled and placed into his family as sons. He's writing this to men and to women, you know, that you are placed in that privileged position by God. This is what he's telling us there, you know, that you are in that privileged position. And so when we come into this relationship with Christ, he's determined to bring us into a privileged position in his family. And he did this, you know, he did this as an act, an expression, the outworking of his love, you know, because he is a God of love, because he is love. He has called us to that. And, you know, he did this because of who he is, not because of who we are. It's because of who he is. He's called us to this, you know, because, because he is God, not because we are anything. It says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will. Uh, you know, some of the trans, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, the, the per, it's the purpose, the intention of his will is what he's saying. It's not our attractiveness. It's not our, our abilities. It's not, it's not our, you know, our obedience. It's not even our need. It's not anything about us. Notice what it says there, in accordance to his favor and will. According to his favor and will, God makes the move. God takes the initiative reaching out to us. And again, he explains that further as he gets into the letter. As here as he's beginning this letter and he's laying these things out there and he's laying these out, you know, that it's according to his favor and his will. 
verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved, in the beloved, in the one he loved, some of the translations say, in his son, you know, in Jesus Christ. He gave us grace in Christ. He gave us grace in Christ. Now, we looked at grace the first week, and we need grace because we're guilty before God. You know, we're guilty before God, and the only way we can come to him is by his grace, not by any merit of our own. It's only through his grace and mercy that we can come, not because we have done anything to earn it, not because, in fact, we've done quite the contrary. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 says, When... Uh, Why then was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Now transgressions, he says, because of the transgressions, that's our sin. Because of our sin, because of the transgressions, because we are guilty before God. And he he goes on, he says that the seed to whom the promise was, the seed, you know, Christ Jesus, the gift of God's grace. We were guilty before him, and he gives us the gift of his grace. Galatians uh, 3.13, he says, Christ has redeemed us. What he has done is, is all that is needed for us to be redeemed, and he did that on the cross, and he has redeemed us uh, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, everyone who was hung on a tree is cursed. He became, he became sin for us, that we're told in Scripture. He became sin and, uh, you know, and to, to die on that cross for us. Our forgiveness is not earned. It's not deserved by us. It's freely given to us by God you know, by, through Christ's sacrifice on the tree, on the cross. Again, the next, very next verse, it says, The purpose was that the blessings of Abraham would come to the Gentiles, in their minds, those separated from God. That was a Gentile, in their minds, those separated from God. That, that the blessings of Abraham, would, of God's people, the blessings that were given you know, as to God's people, that they would come to those who are not God's people, but they would come by Christ, by means of Christ, by way of Christ, because of Christ. Through him, his gift and his his gift of of coming and his and living and his gift on, on the cross for us, so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith, that relationship of faith. Let me remind you, faith is not an empty-headed, um, wishful thinking. Faith is the conclusion you come to after examining all the evidence. Everyone lives by faith. Every person in the world lives by faith. Agnostics, atheists, live by faith. They have examined the evidence, and in their minds they have come to the conclusion that there is no God, or that God doesn't matter. They have come to a conclusion based on what they have seen. Our faith is based on the evidence that we have seen and the conclusion that he is God. That, all, that everything around us, all of creation, had to come from something. There had to be a beginning and there had to be a start. And when you look at, at creation, you look what's there, and there had to be some intelligence to that. And there had to be some purpose. This wasn't, you know, random willy-nilly stuff going on. And we look at that evidence and we come to the conclusion, we come to the faith that there is indeed a God. 
And then we come to that, continue to look at the evidence and come to the reality of knowing that he wants to know us and he wants us to know him. See, so when we're talking about faith, you know, when we're talking about that the Gentiles come to Christ so that, you know, we receive that promise, it's, it, it's that relationship of faith that we have with him. You know, that takes us uh, to verse 7 in our Ephesians passage. He says, we have redemption in him through his blood. We have redemption through Christ. Redemption. Uh, redemption is that, that price paid, you know, the price paid uh, for our sin. The price for our sin has been paid. Redemption. You, you know, you have this ticket to redeem what you have. I went to pick up, <coughs> I went to pick up uh, one of my grandson's suit from uh, the tailor. You know, it had to be altered. And when I went there, I had to have the ticket, you know, the ticket, the redemption, so that, you know, they, they, could, they could find what I needed and had to then, you know, pay that price so that I could have this. I redeemed that suit. When he talks about, you know, that, that we have redemption, that's that Christ paid that price for our sin. Notice what it says. We have redemption through his blood, his sacrifice on the cross for us, him giving his life for our sins. Sin is costly. You know, sometimes we think it's not a big deal. I, I still remember getting pulled over by, I, you know, many of you have heard it, you know, getting pulled over by the policeman in Ohio for going 67 in a 65. You know, going 67 in a 65. And, you know, he asked me, and he asked me, he said, what were you thinking? And he waited for an answer. And I was a little stunned, didn't say anything. And he said to me again, what were you thinking? And I looked and I said, I didn't think it was that big a deal. There's our problem. Sometimes we think the sin we're doing isn't that big a deal. He said to me, I don't know what the laws are where you came from, well, yeah, he did. It's, you know, I was just over the border in Ohio. I'm from Indiana. He said, but the laws here in Ohio are exact. We sometimes, we sometimes approach sin like we approach the speed limit. It's just a suggestion. It doesn't really matter. Just a suggestion. We downplay the immense impact of sin to our own destruction. He came... We have, you know, we have this redemption through his blood. Sin is costly. And he paid that price we own. Notice what it says. We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. There it is. We have forgiveness in Christ. We have forgiveness in Christ. We cannot do this on our own. 
We can't do this on our own. We will never be good enough on our own. It is not, does the good outweigh the bad? We will never be good enough on our own. We carry that stain of sin. We carry that sin you know, until we are cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ for our sin. Galatians, he says, Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify, declare, you know, that he would justify the Gentiles by faith. By, by that relationship we have with him, realizing who he is, looking at the evidence, realizing who he is and coming, and he will justify us. The word means to declare not guilty. Not saying that, you know, not saying that, that, that we didn't do it. What he's saying is he's not guilty because I paid the price. I paid that price. He says you know, he would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham and all who have faith. We have forgiveness, not because of what we have done, but because of the faith of what he has done. We're blessed in Christ, chosen in Christ, adopted through Christ. We receive grace through Christ. We have redemption through him. And we have the forgiveness by his grace. The gift we have received, he has called us to give. We have received forgiveness, and he has called us to give forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, God's chosen ones were chosen in Christ. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy, were called to be holy and blameless in his sight. God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on, make evident, put this right out front, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness. I have trouble with that one sometimes. Humility, gentleness. There's another battle for me. And patience, okay. Getting a little carried away. Accepting one another. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, what's that word? must also forgive. <coughs> See, we've received forgiveness and we're also called to give forgiveness to others. Now, you know, I said sometimes we make, you know, we... we don't take sin uh, seriously enough. Uh, sometimes we don't take this call seriously enough either. The reality is not that it's not that big a deal what's been done to you. The reality is you've been wronged. Because if you've not been wronged, 
there is no need for forgiveness. You don't have to forgive someone who's not done anything to you, you see. So when he calls us to forgive, what he's doing here is acknowledging the reality that a wrong has been done. A wrong has happened. And you say, you know, but you don't understand the depth of the pain. You know, I may not, but I know someone who does. Trust me. Jesus knows the depth of your pain. I guess part of what I would challenge you with is you don't know the depth of his pain. You don't know the depth of his love. We're called to forgive others. Jesus said, you know, forgive and you will be forgiven. You ever pray the Lord's Prayer? Well, you have. I know you have because, you know, that's just one of the things we do. And part of it we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. When I stop to think about that, I have to, I have to stop myself sometimes because I'm not, I, I want God to forgive me much better than I forgive others. He says, forgive you know, forgive, and, you know, and, and you'll be forgiven. Ephesians chapter 4, he says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Again, not that you weren't wronged. The reality is you were wronged. He says that's why you forgive. Well, and Peter comes up, you know, Peter says, you know, came to him and said, Lord, how many times should my, could my brother Sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times. And we remember Jesus' answer. I tell you, not as many as seven. Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. Again, let me remind you, he doesn't mean 490 times. And 491 and you just let him have it. That's not what he means. You know, that's not what he's, what he's, what he's calling us to here at all. I think there's several different applications of this. One is, you know, sometimes I've forgiven somebody and then something comes along and it comes screaming to the front again and I just want to punch him in the throat. You know, and it just comes screaming to the front and I want to grab a hold of them and rip their ears off. You know, it, it, it just comes and, and I need to forgive them again. Not because I didn't forgive them before. But because something came along and hit that wound again, and man, it hurt. Something came along and scraped that scab right off of there, and now I'm bleeding all over the place. Something happened, and they may not even be aware of it, and they might be because they might have done the same stupid thing all over again. But he tells me, you know, he tells me that I need to forgive. I think another application of this is, you know, realizing it doesn't always come easy. And we learn to forgive by forgiving. I can't forgive. Yes, you know, it doesn't mean... Forgiving does not mean you're happy about what happened. Forgiveness does not make... 
and don't ever forget this. Forgiveness does not mean you're okay with what happened. Forgiveness means I am not okay with what happened. It means I am not okay with what happened. But I am not going to let that control me. And I'm not going to let that control my response to you. And yes, sometimes it's hard. It is excruciatingly hard. And that's where when we walk in faith with the Lord and allow Him to take us through the hard things. We looked at Psalm 23 a few weeks, months ago. King James, yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. You see, he doesn't ask us to go through this alone. He doesn't say, forgive, have at it. What he says is, don't, you know, don't hold this against them. You know, when you don't forgive, you know who's in control? It's not you. It's the one you won't forgive. They're pulling your strings. They're pushing your buttons. They're rubbing your fur the wrong way. We have redemption in him through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace living in the riches of his grace we are forgiven according to the riches of his grace that same grace that he gives us so that we can learn to forgive others by God's grace not by my strength I can't and sometimes yes it takes time I, I, can, I can remember some things. And again, forgiving doesn't mean you've forgotten it. It means I'm not going to live there. It means I'm not holding this against you. And I can remember some things that happened. And, and, and I, I just, I had, you know, I, I couldn't believe uh, how much it was controlling me. If I'm going to live in His grace... That's the only place I'm going to find that strength for the forgiveness that he calls me to. It's the forgiveness he's given me and the forgiveness that he calls me to so I can learn to forgive. Regift what God has given you. Okay? Be a regifter. He has given you forgiveness. Regift that to someone else. Forgiveness. We have redemption in Him. We have redemption in Him through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. His forgiveness came to us through the riches of His grace. Let His forgiveness flow through us by the riches of his grace. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for what a gracious God you are, what a great God you are, what a loving God you are, what a forgiving God you are. I don't need anyone else to point out for me what uh, some of the stupid things I've done, Lord. I know I have offended you in many ways and many times and sometimes in sometimes by deliberate choice. I don't like to admit that. But the reality is you come and you give forgiveness, not because, uh, not because I've done anything to deserve it. I have offended you, and that's why forgiveness is needed. I have, I have come in your face and I have, I have trashed what you have done and forgiveness is needed. I violated the holy God that you are and forgiveness is needed and comes by your grace. So Lord, help me Help me to be one who forgives others by your grace. Thank you for that gift. Help me to re-gift it to others, I pray. In your name, it has to be by your strength because it's not within me. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.